0: Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also On my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves." The Word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. That was from um, the series that uh, Johnny is running at, um, what is it, Chase the Submarine, something the submarine, what's the name of the place? Chase the Submarine. And I've been going along, and it's been fantastic. This series is called Explore God, and we get together, there's good food laid on, there are great people, and we chat, and there's great beer. That's really important to me. And um, so I've been thoroughly enjoying that and going along to those. And I want to explore with you, just spend a few minutes this morning looking at uh, one question, which is really this week's question. As Johnny said, looking at the question, is Christianity too narrow? How can Christians say that their way is the right way or their truth is the right truth? Does any religion have the right to make exclusive claims about paths to truth, or indeed what that truth is? And you might say, well, gosh, you know, that's not a question that troubles me enormously. I'm quite content where I am. But I promise you, at some point, you're going to meet a co-worker or somebody in your life who's going to ask you that question. Is your way, if you say your way is the truth, is it too narrow? If you're growing up as a kid, as a young adult going through the school system. You're going to experience that. How can you say, Christian, that you're always right? If you have children, I can promise you at some point, they're going to ask you that question. So this is a question for all of us. And I really want to think about that question by ask, asking ourselves three basic questions this morning. I don't know if we've got the slides ready, but let's just bring that up. There are three basic questions I want to have a look at. First of all, did Jesus make narrow claims about Himself? Did He actually do that? And then secondly, if He did, or if so, what was the nature of the claims that He made? And then lastly, I want to twist our minds somewhat and wonder whether we're asking the right kind of question at all. So, we're going to have a go at that, but will you pray with me as we begin? And let's ask God to help us. I feel like I need a little help this morning. This is not easy. So let's ask God's help by praying together. Father, as we wrestle with ideas of truth, as we wrestle with who You are, the words of Jesus, would You meet us now by Your Spirit, and would You help us to understand something a little more, that we would come away this morning having grappled with something of You and having been taught something by you. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So, have you ever heard of somebody called David Foster Wallace? Is that somebody you've heard of? David Foster Wallace was a, brilliant, was a brilliant American novelist and essayist, and he made a commencement speech at where he worked at a place called Kenyon College that has sort of entered into folklore almost, because it was a very brilliant speech, and we got my little, my little picture of the fish? And he begins this commencement speech at a college by saying this, by giving this illustration. This is what he said. There are two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, "'Morning, boys. How's the water?' And the two young fish swim on for a bit. And then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? And Foster Wallace explains the story this way. The point of the fish story is merely this, that the most obvious, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. It wasn't a joke. You don't have to feel nervous. You weren't supposed to laugh. But the hardest And most important realities are often the ones that are the the most obvious, sorry, and important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and to talk about. The fish in the story, in the illustration, are so habituated to water, they were birthed into water, they grew up in water, that they simply never think about water at all. Why would they? It's just always been there. But yet, that water has shaped the fish. The fish are the shape they are because of the water they swim in. And that might be true for us as well, because we swim in something we might call culture, and culture shapes us whether we like it or not. And one of the major, major shapers of our culture today can be summed up in one word, and that word is tolerance. Like it or not, we all swim in the waters of tolerance, and tolerance you might define simply as this, a willingness to accept the feelings, habits, and beliefs of others that are different to our own. The feelings, habits, and beliefs of others that are different from our own. Our culture has taught us very well that we must, above all, tolerate other people's way of seeing the world. And in many ways, that's a great thing. And I would say, as a Christian, that tolerance is a good thing. It fits with my worldview as a Christian. I would say, as a Christian, that I believe every human being is made in the image of God and therefore carries innate dignity. And so any kind of system that basically backs that view up and says we should give others the inherent dignity of being a human being, I would agree with wholeheartedly, but tolerance has its limits. You might say to me, Matthew, you know what, I don't really believe in gravity. I, 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 don't think, I, just, I just don't really believe in gravity. And I might say as a tolerant person, well, that's good for you. How nice for you that you don't believe in gravity, but I'll excuse me if I don't join you as you step off a hundred-story building. My tolerance doesn't go that far. And I'm very glad that my parents had a relatively intolerant view of gravity when, as a small boy, I was climbing trees. There is a limit to tolerance, is there not? And there is a limit to tolerance in terms of the meaning you give the world. Have you read Alice in Wonderland ever? Do you remember in Alice in Wonderland there is this character called Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty um, is drawn from the children's nursery rhyme. And in Lewis Carroll's story, Alice in Wonderland, Humpty Dumpty is obsessed with making the most of words. He's a kind of image, if you will, of the author himself, Lewis Carroll. And whenever Humpty Dumpty uses a word, he wants to try to make it mean whatever he wants to make it mean saying that he can always pay it extra on the weekend to do what he wants it to do. But of course, if you make words mean whatever you want them to, in the end, they don't mean anything at all. So you end up with nonsense. And Humpty Dumpty doesn't really understand this, so it's a sort of image he keeps falling off his wall and shattering into a million pieces. Lewis Carroll is trying to help us understand that there are limits, as it were, to this understanding that we can all simply make whatever meaning we want of the world. So there are limits to tolerance, but I think in general most of us would agree that tolerance is a good thing. These days, we would probably agree we need more tolerance, not less. So it's into those serene waters of tolerance that we must now drop the words and claims of Jesus Christ and see whether they maintain the calm waters of tolerance or perhaps disturb the waters. Can we have that first slide, the first text? These are the words of Jesus' early followers. Let's start with what they said about Jesus and see what we can make of them. This is Paul, the first quote. Paul, early disciple of Jesus, earlier follower, said this, salvation, Paul says, tells us, is found in no one else. Yikes, this is difficult already. For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Not very tolerant, but then he was living in a different age. Let's go on. Later in a letter to the Philippians, Paul said this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul says Jesus is above everyone. Every other claim to authority or power, Jesus stands above them. And let's look at one other disciple briefly, John. John said this, John. The disciple that Jesus loved said, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Okay, that's fairly general. Good. Whoever has the Son has life. That's nice. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Ouch. It's a little difficult to hold that together with a very tolerant view of other religions but perhaps 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 let's just put this aside because perhaps they're like football fans you know if you have a football team you tend to say rather extreme things the patriots they are the best they're the highest they're the top no one touches them so is that what he's is that what's going on here perhaps they're just slightly exaggerating so let's have a look at the words of jesus himself this is what jesus as we have his words recorded said about Himself. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nobody knows the Son, that's Himself, except the Father, and no one knows the Father, that is God, except the Son. Ah, I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, a little bit more reassuring. I am the resurrection and the life. Don't understand what that means. That's okay. Anyone who believes in Me will live. That's good, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in Me will never die. That sounds positive. And then He says in the passage that we read this morning, I am the way and the truth and the life. And here it comes again. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So this is a little difficult, it's a little uncomfortable when we're thinking about the context that we live in. But I haven't given up hope. I haven't given up hope of a tolerant way of looking at this stuff. So I'm going to try and Humpty Dumpty things a little bit here. Bear with me as I do this, I'm not trying to make fun of those people who would try and hold the different religions together and say they all say basically the same thing, but perhaps we can do that. Perhaps it's possible. I mean, isn't Jesus here really saying the same sorts of things that other religions say, that ultimately there is a truth out there and then there is a path to that truth? Isn't that what most religions really say? There is something desirable, a desirable destination, something to have or get, and we give it different names, we call it, might call it heaven. We might call it eternal life, we might call it nirvana, we might call it bliss, we might call it the good life, but there's something to be had, all religions say, and then the different religions say, we've got the path to that thing. So aren't they all saying the same thing? What do you think? Perhaps Jesus is saying this, you know, you're going to get to that truth by following my way, but if you follow my way, you've really got to go for it. If you're not going to follow another way, you're going to follow my way, you've got to go for it. If you're going to be a good Christian, you've really got to be a good one. That doesn't stop you being a good Muslim, or a good Jew, or a good Buddhist, or a good Hindu. There might be other ways to get there, but if you're going to choose your path, choose a good one, and then really go for it. Perhaps that's what Jesus is saying. What do you think? Well, I think that's difficult, honestly. I really do think that's humpty dumpty it and trying to make it mean something that it doesn't. And actually the problem with trying to make an equivalence between what Jesus said about Himself and what other religions say is the real problem here is that Jesus is not saying the same sort of thing that other religions are saying. Just stay with me here. Jesus is not actually saying the same kinds of things or the same thing that other religions are saying. Most other religions do say there is a path and there is a destination, but Jesus is not saying that. Bear with me. I was trying to think of a good illustration to help us wrap our minds around this morning, and I couldn't think of one, so I came up with some bad illustrations, and I tried them out on my wife, and she kind of rolled her eyes at the illustrations that I came up with, One illustration involved aliens, and she didn't like that at all. So please feel free to roll your eyes at the illustration I'm about to give you. I was actually having a a bit of an argument with my wife a a week or so ago. And that's, you know, pastors have arguments too. And as you were arguing, my wife kept looking at me and saying, Matt, everything I say, you roll your eyes. I said, I'm really sorry. I'll stop doing that. So we went on with the discussion, the vigorous discussion, and I stopped rolling my eyes. And after a while, my wife said, Matt, you're still rolling your eyes. And I said, I'm not. And she said, well, okay, you're not actually rolling your eyes, but you're still rolling your eyes inside. (laughs) So feel free to roll your eyes inside at this illustration. Imagine for a moment that we are all passionate royalists. We love the Queen of England. Above everything else, she is the desirable end. She consumes our thoughts. So because we're passionate royalists, we all get together and we talk about the queen. And we talk about what we know about the queen, what we think about the queen, what the truth is about the queen. And if one of us was to stand up and say, actually, the rest of you are entirely wrong. I'm the only one who knows what the queen is really like. Of course, we would say, how dare you? How can you say that? That's ridiculous. We've all got a little bit of the picture of the queen. And then maybe after a while, we say, well, why don't we stop arguing about it? Why don't we find a way to actually go and see the queen? So now we start to argue again because we're rather religious in our behavior, and we start a big argument about what is the best way to get to see the queen? And if one of us stands up and says, well, I've got the only way to get to see the queen, we might again say, that's a bit ridiculous. There's probably lots of ways to get to see the queen. That's a little bit what religious behavior and the different religions can feel like. But imagine our surprise when there is a little old lady who comes to all our discussions, and she wears these rather bright-colored, gaudy-looking clothes and a bright hat And she wears this hat pulled down over her eyes, so we can't really see who she is. But she's always there. And then one day, in the middle of one of our arguments, she stands up, throws off her hat and says, stop all this arguing, here I am, I am the queen. Now can you see that at that moment, all the questions change? Because no longer are we arguing about truths or paths to truths because someone is standing right in front of us and saying, you know that object of desire, the end, the purpose you're working towards, that's me, I'm here, I'm the one you're looking for. And this is exactly what John is trying to help us understand as he records a little discussion between the disciples and Jesus. Can we have that Scripture up? This is what we read this morning. It starts off sounding a little bit like a sort of fairly standard, if you will, religious discussion about truths and paths to truth. This is what Jesus says, "'Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Well, I'm not sure what that means. Certainly believe in God. Okay, I get that. Believe you means sort of trust that I'm a good religious guide, perhaps. In my Father's house, Jesus said, are many rooms. So there's somewhere to go. There's a destination. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to Myself, that where I am, you will be also. Sounds like he's talking about somewhere to go, a destination, a desirable end, if you will. And you know the way I am going. And at that point, Thomas, the doubting disciple, says, wait a minute. Lord, we don't know where you're going. Where where is this place? How can we know the way, the the way to this place? So Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. So it's starting to shift. Can you see? No longer am I someone who's simply pointing to a path or pointing to a truth, but Jesus is starting to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Can you see how this thing is shifting? And actually, what we get here is a record of the disciples' confusion because Philip then says, Lord, show us the Father. You're talking about the Father. You're talking about God. But show us. Show us. And that will be enough for us because I'm confused. I don't understand this talk about paths and truths. Just show us the Father. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me in other words that thing that you are desiring and trying to find and find a path for that desirable end is me i am I, not me, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The words I say to you, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the accounts of the works themselves. And he's talking about his miracles. So it's as if Jesus at that point stands up, throws his hat off, and says, that thing that you've been desiring all along is standing right here in front of you. So now, the only question that matters is this one. Is this person really who they say they are or not? And that is not a question of tolerance. It's not a question of interpretation or meaning. It's a yes-no question, like gravity does gravity exist, yes or no? You can test it out and find out. There was a brilliant professor of philosophy at London University, a guy called Professor Joad. He was not a Christian, and he was asked on the BBC radio, if you could meet any person from the past and ask them just one question, who would you meet and what question would you ask? And this non-believing professor answered without hesitation, I would meet Jesus Christ and ask Him the most important question in the world, did you or did you not rise from the dead? And there came a moment in Joad's life where he was assessing the evidence for himself and he became a Christian. Because he was right, that's the most important question in the world in this Easter season, we've been looking at it one time to time, if Jesus rose from the dead, then He has vindicated His claim to be God. And there's going to be another week in about a week's time, you're going to be looking at the claims of Jesus to be God. But do you see that Jesus has fundamentally shifted the question for us as a culture? It's not ultimately about truths or paths to truths. It's a simple yes-no question. Is Jesus God? Yes, or no, And as soon as you answer that question, as soon as you answer that question, which is, if you will, a narrow question, there are only two options available to you, yes or no. But as soon as you answer that question, Christianity turns out to be not narrow at all. It turns out to be very broad indeed, and very inclusive, and very, if you will, tolerant Because unlike every other religious system, access to this person who is also the destination is not based on any qualification, any knowledge, any language skills, any ritual, any ethnicity, any family lineage lineage, or personal performance. I actually stood in a room with the Queen of England and Prince Philip and Prince Williams and Prince Harry. I was working with a production company, and we got to film the wedding of the niece of the queen, so we had to have access. And we had to go through this long process where we had our background checks done, and then we were given passes, security checks as we went through. Access was really difficult. And even when I got chosen, or I chose myself, I can't remember because there's a little signing of the registry, and I knew that was going to take into place in the small room with the Queen and Prince Philip, and I wanted to see them up close and personal. So, I said, I'll go in with the camera, and I'll do that. So, I did, and I stood in a little room with them, but I still didn't have access to them. It was as if I was totally invisible. I was not really there. I never penetrated the royal conscience, consciousness, as it were, not at all. But as soon as you answer that question, is Jesus who He said He is, access to Him is unlimited. And the only barrier that stands between us and Him as a royal figure, if you will, which is that we are unwashed, unclean, and we haven't got the right kind of clothes, Jesus Himself washes us and gives us the right kinds of clothes to make sure that we can have access to Him. So far from being narrow, Christianity, apart from that one narrow question, a yes no question about the person of Jesus, turns out to be the broadest possible faith you can have. We read this from Isaiah. Johnny read it at the beginning of the service Come, everyone who thirsts. Not the beautiful, not the clever, not the qualified, not those who've done right. Come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, nothing to offer, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, all the good things of life, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why go anywhere else and your labor? for that which does not satisfy. I'm just going to finish with this. As a Christian, do I believe I have exclusive access to the truth? Just hear this. No, I don't. How do I say that? Well, you just have to look in the Scriptures. The Scriptures contain things like the Proverbs. Where did the Proverbs come from? Proverbs were ancient wisdom writings. Almost certainly, many of them were at least influenced by Sumerian, similar proverbs, Egyptian, similar proverbs. If not, they are identical, exactly the same. So the Scripture affirms there is wisdom in the world. Paul, the early apostle, we uh, read some of the things that he wrote, said, you can look at the creation and you can know at least something of God. So as a Christian, I don't claim to have exclusive access to truth. And I certainly don't claim to have all the knowledge of God. As a Christian, I do not believe that I have fully understand or understood the truths about God that have been presented to me in Christ. A little humility is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But if, as we will, because the culture is what it is, if we find ourselves being asked or drawn into questions about truths and paths to truths, and is our truth and our path to that truth too narrow, really what we need to do is change the question, because that's not the right question to ask. We need to make it a question about Jesus. I know I won't have answered all your questions, and in saying these things, I'll have raised more questions for you. I would highly recommend going along to explore God. It's great fun. This week is about the same thing that I've been talking about. Next week. It's about answering that question, is Jesus God? And I really, really wholeheartedly believe with all my heart that God never refuses an honest question, an honest question that really wants to wrestle. So I would really recommend that you bring your friends, go to explore God, if not this one, next one. But let's not play Humpty Dumpty and try and make the faiths say the same kinds of things. It's actually disrespectful to other faiths and other ways of seeing as so They don't say the same things, and we can't try to force them to mean that. And in fact, the whole of Jesus' life and ministry, the whole of Jesus' life and ministry was not to give us that option. Let's pray. Father God, as believers who are learning and trying to follow you, and doing that in a culture that is questioning, as we saw in that film clip, how anybody can say, we have the one way, we have the truth. I pray, Lord, you would speak to us as individuals, speak to our hearts, and help us to wrestle with the kinds of questions that Jesus asked of his disciples. Help us to understand more deeply how it really comes down to that one basic question about who you are and that everything else hangs on that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.